0: I know you enjoy these CEO stories as much as I've enjoyed recording them. So thank you for listening today. And if you like what you've heard, rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm looking forward to you joining me on the next great middle market CEO adventure into the corner office. Today, my guest is Matt Charleston, president and CEO of DataBank IMX. Matt loves helping people grow taking on new challenges, and seeing DataBank evolve every day into a place where teammates can thrive. His path to leadership there began with launching and co-running a successful technology consulting firm, eDocument, that was sold to DataBank back in 2013. Matt achieved a Bachelor of Science in Computer Science from Minnesota State University and founded eDocument with two partners in his mid-20s. They grew the company to about 60 employees before being purchased by DataBank, where he was eventually groomed to become CEO by the company's founder. Outside of work, you'll find Matt spending time with his two daughters, Abigail and Elizabeth, and their lab mix, Rescue Simba. If it involves boating, golfing, the outdoors, or the Minnesota Vikings, Matt's interested. Matt Charlson, welcome into the corner office.
1: Thanks, Brian. Glad to be here.
0: Where does this podcast find you today? I
1: am uh, at home. Cincinnati, Ohio.
0: All right, great. And the weather uh, getting a little cooler there <laughs> now? or It is. We, yeah. we
1: hit p- uh, peak fall season over the weekend, so it's just beautiful here right now, but it is definitely cooling down.
0: I love it there. I know we spoke a few weeks ago. You know, I spent about two, three years there, having right. been a Proctor alum, and uh, nothing like the fall there. It's just gorgeous—the river and all the changes and so forth are going on. So uh, glad to connect with you today. Now we love to kick these things off and you know, kind of talk about the early days. Now, Did you grow up in Ohio, or is that in your adopted home?
1: No, I didn't. I, I've been here for about ten years, but I actually grew up in a. Um, a really small neighborhood and on a lake in rural Minnesota. So nice. nothing, yeah, nice. nothing fancy, cool place, but just, uh, you know, kind of simple times, you know, learn to fish and hunt and sail, ride motorcycles, stuff like that. Just lots of outdoors on time.
0: Love it. Love it. And what did mom and dad do?
1: Uh, my mom worked in, a, in an office for the, uh, for the local government, uh, actually a farm agency and my dad sold or my stepdad sold insurance. My parents were, were, were divorced when I was younger, but, uh, Everybody's working full-time and out of the house most, most days.
0: Brothers and sisters?
1: Uh, one one brother. I uh, was actually a, a, an only child until I was about 14. Um, okay. My parents were divorced and got remarried. But uh, yeah, so uh, yeah, I just <laughs> learned to do a lot of things on my own. Yeah. But uh, yeah, one, one brother.
0: Got it. And what were some of those things that you remembered from early on? You know, obviously, both parents working. You probably were a little bit of a latchkey kid before that was a thing. And, uh, were there folks that, you know, inspired you, whether coaches, teachers, et cetera, or, you know, your stepdad and mom, what were the kind of things that you remember growing up?
1: Yeah. You know, just, just, um, uh, I, guess, you know, really doing a lot of things, you know, kind of, you know, kind of, you know, out again, outdoor activity, a lot of time on my, a lot of time on my own, you know, learn, learning a lot of those skills that I I didn't know at the time, but they really set me up, you know, later in life, like that kind of got me to figure things out. Right. Just, you know, learning
0: to, being catch independent. Fish and, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, really exactly. Yeah. Right. Cool. Were you a good student in school?
1: Um, I wish I could say I was, but I was, <laughs> I was not a great student. It probably part borderline borderline on horrible. I, you know, I really went from class clown to, to just, you know, one of those, one of those boys that just doesn't, uh, doesn't apply yourself. And then, you know, at, at some age you discover beer and school takes a backseat, but, but it took me some time to grow up and figure all that out. But, uh, um, Definitely, definitely kind of coasted through through high school with, with not a lot of real thought to future, but uh, the light bulb did come on eventually. Uh, it took me a little while, but uh, college was a turnaround story for me, which I'm excited to tell you about later.
0: Great. Well, you know, as you were going up elementary, junior high, high school, were there other activities that kind of took your attention? I know you're out there motorcycling and doing a lot of independent stuff, but were there things like you know sports and you know music, theater, debate, other other kind of things that you got involved with
1: Yeah, yeah, there was. I, I played sports when I was younger. You know, I, I wasn't a great athlete. You know, certainly wasn't all that confident out there. I didn't kind of grow into my coordination until until you know later later on in high school. But yeah, played played music, played the trumpet actually in band when I was younger. Uh, So between sports and that, again, as as younger, but I I actually started working at a pretty early age, probably 12 or or, or 13. So I guess, you know, after a while, that was really my my, uh, main outside activity. It was just, you know, starting to learn how to make make a few dollars and, and, you know, get out there and get out there in the world.
0: What kind of jobs did you have at that age? Oh boy, um, really,
1: really. I did everything. I worked on, I worked on farms. I, I, I worked in some construction things as, as a, you know, as a you know teenager. I actually worked on a vegetable farm of of all places at, at like thirteen. That was kind of my my first experience in sales. Really, you know, people coming up and trying to you know get a deal on a bag of vegetables or, or what have you, and trying to haggle a kid, which is um, kind of annoying. But it, it certainly taught me some resiliency and how to say no and and, and all that. But um, you know, I had to dig all these things up, you know, so I was kind of proud of what I did and had to, uh, had to tell them no, but, you know, I moved on uh, from, from that. I moved on to working at a restaurant. I was probably in high school at that time, definitely early high school working at a restaurant. So lots of nights and weekends, you know, really messy jobs when you think about what has to happen in a fast paced restaurant environment, but you know, interesting managers and things like that. And, and then from there, uh, uh kind of a printing press, more of a factory environment, right? Um, you know, definitely different from the things I was used to before. But I think the good thing is all, all of these things I learned, I didn't want to do them forever. So it really helped to motivate me to, to you know, buckle down in school and again, get back to, get back on track.
0: Some entrepreneurial things as well. Did you, you know, have the paper route or other stuff that you did on your own?
1: You know, not really. I, I uh, you know, I did a lot of those jobs were on my own, especially like in the construction thing and, and working on farms and all that. But but I, I didn't do anything really entrepreneurial that I can think of. I, I knew I needed to work hard, right? I, I knew nothing was going to be handed to me, so there was wasn't a lot of extras at home. We had what we needed, but that was about it. Uh, so if I wanted something like a car eventually, or you know things, you know, larger expenses like that, I knew I had to work for it. So everyone around me worked a lot. I don't really call anybody in my life really that that, that didn't. So I just kind of kept my head down and found jobs, and and sometimes several at a time, it just kind of attacked the world, you know, that way.
0: You went to Minnesota State. Now, was yep. that a kind of foregone conclusion? Did mom and dad both have their degrees? And, you know, is that something that you had your eyes on or did or it kind of evolve to that?
1: You know, it, it, it didn't really evolve that my stepdad did go to Minnesota State. and you knew a few people that went there, but really for, for me, it was really, you know, kind of an easy choice. That was the, that was the college that, that would take me. I, I mentioned before I wasn't a great student, right? And, uh, but, you know, I, at that point I was determined to, you know, to do something better. I just didn't know what. Right. So I I went in as a business major and kind of got right to work at that point. And, you know, a couple of early semesters on the dean's list got me a lot more confident about the direction I was headed. It was kind of like being a new person
0: at that point. Well, that's a big turnaround. How how did you go from kind of the average high school student to being on the dean's list at college?
1: uh, This is a really this is going to be really embarrassing. But um, I uh, my guidance counselor in high school, when you start when you're in that, I guess you're late in your junior year. My, My daughter's actually a junior right now. So we're kind of going through these things on on her end. But I guess late in my junior year, you know, you start talking to guidance counselors about, you know, the next step and, you know, where you think you should go to college. And he actually said, I don't think college is for you, buddy. I think that you should just find something else to do. So it was, I I was really down about that. You know, told that I came home and told that to my mom and she, I think she had some words with him after that, but I, probably not the best at his job, but, but I guess it was probably was the kick in the tail that I needed to, to really, you know, recenter a bit in my life. And, and, and and do that. So I really, I, you know, I, I I got there and uh, I just said, okay, here, you know, now is when it really matters, and just buckled down and got after it.
0: And you chose business as a degree. Was was that kind of a natural choice, or was it a default with regards yeah. to you know yeah. what you could go and do and learn?
1: Definitely a default. <laughs> uh, definitely, yeah, definitely, it was kind of like like I have no idea what I'm going to do, so I'll, I'll pick that and. And pretty early on, you know, after I guess a couple semesters of of doing doing, you know, better from a grade standpoint, you know, somebody said, "Hey, you're you're doing good. You should you know, should try, do something like electrical engineering, right?" So I so I switched. I switched my major. I, I did that, and uh, I, I thought that sounded a lot better for me than something quite so broad like like business. And what I when I got in there, what I found out is I really liked the the coding and the programming classes yeah. a, a lot better than, than the engineering classes. So I went on to change my major again to, to computer science. And so I guess that was probably around 1996 or so. So the, the, you know, the internet was, was yeah. really heating Free up, States, yeah. yeah, exactly. Think, things were starting to get really interesting there. And, and then I, one of my computer science professors, you know, told the class, you know, um, how, how much, you know, what, what, what he thought people were going to be, you know, earning from an income standpoint, a couple years after school, I thought, oh, well, here light bulb comes on again, I'm like, all right, I think I found it. I think I found a career. <laughs> I mean, like having fun, you know, I picked a career that seems to be, you know, going to be going strong here for, for the foreseeable future. So, actually went on from there to look on to, for positions outside of school that where I could, you know, start to like earn some practical work experience too. So yeah, it was really, it was, it was kind of a fun, fun progression. A lot of changes, right. A lot
0: of me changing my mind, but it all, it all worked out. What was learning to code like back in those days in the mid nineties?
1: Oh, it was, it was hard. I mean, there's no, no online resources, no YouTube, no, you know, any of that stuff to, to really help you. But But uh, it was, so it was really just a lot of, a lot of nights. I I can't say I was particularly good at it. I just really enjoyed the kind of the thrill of that, but yeah, just a lot of long nights, a lot of trial and error, um, you know, sitting down with other, other students and trying to figure things out too. But um, yeah, obviously the, just the resources were different, right? No, No visual resources, all very text driven, which, which was, you know, Looking back, it sounds miserable, but.
0: What was was the language then? I mean, it was obviously pre Java and everything else. Was it? Yeah. I I mean, I did Fortran cards. That dates me back when I was in college. I hope you didn't have to go through that pain. No, it was a lot
1: of, I I guess, I guess that's a great question. And I don't even remember all of them, but I guess it was basic. There there was one class that, and I don't even know why they made us do this, but there was one class where it was assembly. And, uh, and, and, that was just so foreign and so difficult, but again, just, it, it kind of taught you how to, the fundamentals and how to, how to learn that. I and mean, it's been a number of years since I've, since I picked any of that up now, but, but it was, it was remember, it really, really fun at the time. Just
0: so You found, you found your groove, you found something that you enjoyed and uh, it sounds like you put a lot of time into it. Did you, uh, think that, you know, moving forward, your career would be, you know, as, uh, as a coder, as someone that would, you know, utilize that, is that kind of. The direction you set at that time? or
1: it, it was, yeah, it was a very, very technically oriented, you know, college career. And, and looking back, there's definitely some things I would have done a lot differently there too. But at the time, you know, you're 20, 21. I found, I found my first actual, you know, professional job as a part-time job in while I was still in college. And, um, and yeah, that, and that was very technical as well. So yeah, I thought, I thought that was going to be, at least for the foreseeable future, I thought that was going to be me. I didn't really have a, my sights set on you know, managing or, or anything at that point in time. I was just really, it was really enjoying myself, you know, and, yeah. you know, from what I saw around me, you know, it didn't seem like a lot of people, you know, really it, it enjoyed that work. And this was just really exciting because it was it was kind of foreign to everybody, you know, and nobody in my, in my life, you know, um, family and, you know, friends and things like that were in that kind of a role. So it was kind of exciting for them to, to see that too. So, but yeah, I thought that's what I was going to do for for the foreseeable future anyway.
0: What was that first job you took out of college then? Once you graduated,
1: so it was it was actually uh, an internship. Uh, I, I worked full time for a couple summers in school, and then and then part time during school. But it was actually my uncle's company. He, uh, you know, we weren't overly close at the time, but he, but I knew he was doing something in tech, and I approached him and said, "Hey, I'll I'll, I'll take anything, right? I just want some some you know real real world experience and love it, have a chance to learn." So. He his business was installing information systems in banks, uh, which at the time was 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 kind of cutting edge because it was really their second. The average bank was really the second. This is probably 1996, so it was their second major software purchase besides like their core banking platform, the thing that you know issues the accounts and 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 does all that. So it was a neat time for us. It was pretty cutting edge in that industry, and I got to travel all summer long, you know, different parts, different places of the U.S. to put these systems in and train people how to use them and. And then, um, my first business trip out of school was actually to Australia where we did the first system of its kind in, 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 in that country. So, wow, wait a minute, wait a
0: minute. So, so you're a freshly minted grad, you've been interning from this place for a year or so, and you're what, 22 years old? Uh, I was 22, 23. I went to Australia and, uh, and this
1: is how inexperienced I was in business, you know, business trail and all that. I, I, uh. I thought Australia okay. It's south. It's going to be nice and warm there. It was, and it was summer. It was it was July, right? So I just graduated. It was June or July, and uh, I didn't realize that it's flipped, right? Oh so it was, it was where winter. I got there and froze my butt off. But but uh, but we had a, it was a good it was a good few weeks. A really neat experience. Just kind of immersed me into a whole different whole different part of the world.
0: So you went and joined them full time coming out of school, and then I, how long did you stay in that opportunity?
1: Yeah, I joined I joined them joined them full time for probably two years after school. And uh, there really wasn't any leadership op- it was a Really small company, right? So there really wasn't any leadership opportunities right. for me, uh, not for you know a long time anyway. So I stayed with them about two years, and actually had an opportunity at that time to start a new business with a with a colleague I had met along the way. Um, actually, I guess kind of a kind of a business partner, but but anyway, uh, got a chance to start to start something with with two folks there. So this is about 2000, the year 2000 that we set that whole planet in motion, and that's when I you know through that journey. Was really, I got my first taste of leadership.
0: Yeah. Cool. And that was, was that Edoc. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Sure was. Got yeah. it. So you were a founder yeah. there. Yep. Boy. So mid twenties then 25 or so at the time. How yeah. It's probably yeah. Know?
1: By that time I was probably 25. Yeah. I think so. Just, you know, still, still very much a technology guy, very much enjoying that part of it, but I uh, really didn't know what it was, what it, what it meant to start a new business and yeah. the different skill sets that was going to draw on or the lack thereof at the time anyway. But but we, uh, you know, but you had
0: a partner or or a couple partners.
1: I had two partners, and exactly. we started hiring pretty early on. But and and it was really fun. We were just flying by the seat of our pants, trying to you know trying to you know win business, get customers, you know, build a name there for ourselves, and and all that. But uh, no formal guidance. We're just just diving in and figuring it out. Fantastic. Well,
0: big risk, big risk taker at that stage, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it worked out. I guess you're with the company for close to 14 years. Was it? Is that not true?
1: Yeah, that's about right. Yeah, I think yeah. we sold. I think we sold the business in 2013. Finally, yeah. So, so yeah, 13, 14 years.
0: Tell us a little bit about what eDocument Resources did.
1: So at, at that time, we were really involved in um, the same information management systems. Actually, it was the same uh, same core technology from my from my last role that we were selling into now bigger. You know, it wasn't just banks; it was bigger enterprises, and you know, we ended up winning some really big, you know, Fortune 1000 orgs and uh, you know, big public sector customers and you know, just, you know, three guys and, uh, you know, um, you know, trying to make something happen. I'm surprised how sometimes how we won some of that business, but, uh, but I think, you know, I think we were really dedicated at the time to, to, to do this, to solve customers problems with, again, with information management and, um, uh, and really just, you know, committed to, you know, committed to success. So.
0: How'd you divide and conquer among the, the two partners, the three partners?
1: Yeah. One. So, um, the one partner was more more background more financial uh mm-hmm. kind of silent and then and then the other uh the other partner you know my 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 main partner was was really the the main sales arm of the of the organization if mm-hmm. that makes sense and then i was yeah, i was doing a lot of the technical work so you know we started hiring with, certainly within that first year it didn't take us long to start to build out a team but but we did definitely had roles and responsibilities very well defined from that we just now naturally defined i guess from that from that regard,
0: and you said you sold the business after so many years. How many employees did you grow to over that period? I think we probably
1: had about sixty. Yeah, give or take. yeah. and yeah, you so were kind of effectively the, the CTO,
0: or uh, I, was, I was. Yeah, was
1: kind of I was. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, we started hiring. Uh, I remember when we started hiring our first engineers and. And Ken and I, my my partner and I looked at each other and said, "Oh, who's going to manage these these people?" And I guess, well, I, I guess that's me. I guess that's me. <laughs> so that, I don't <laughs> really even know what it means, but like, I guess that's uh, I guess I will.
0: <laughs> yeah, terrific. So that's kind of when you started managing people. So yep. again, 27, 28 years old, mm-hmm. pretty yep. pretty early on. And were you hiring hiring people that were about the same age, or were they a little older, or? you know, experience? How did you kind of make yeah, some of those early hiring decisions?
1: They were about the same age. Most, mm-hmm. most of them were, there was, there was a few that were older, but most, most were my age or younger. And, and, uh, you know, it, it you know, it, I wouldn't say that it got hard right away, but it definitely synced in soon that, that, you know, it's more than just training these people on the technical aspects of the job that, that part was going fine. You know, they needed more of that. They, they you know, they needed priority set and conflict resolved, uh, Conflict with other teams, uh, you know, potentially upset customers. All of those things. I remember thinking, "Gosh, what did I get myself into?" I, I, I'm, <laughs>
0: <laughs> Where'd you go? <laughs> I mean, what'd you do, Matt? How did you address this? Cause yeah, again, we just, you know,
1: I, I, I leaned on, you know, my my, my partners. And I were, you know, were were definitely where they were definitely a little little later in their career, not much, but a little later in their career than I was. So they had some some guidance for me from that standpoint. But you know, really, I, I, I read a lot. You know, just kept making mistakes here and there, but but trying to learn from those and. You know, eventually we got to a good point, right? We, we, you know, my, my, my technical background. Then, you know, now that I'm managing people, um, my my technical background kind of came in useful there because I could actually, unlike a lot of managers at that time, um, there weren't a lot of technology, you know, you know, managers that 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 we found. But I think my background really helped because I could I could kind of gain our engineers' respect and and because I knew what they were doing, I knew the work that they were doing, and if you've read anything about leading technical people that that's actually really big you know, having, having the experience that they, that they have and kind of knowing, you know um, how to guide them through that. And is is a big, big deal.
0: Sounds like you had some good partners and you guys kind of shared experiences. Any outside mentors that you had, man, during those days?
1: You know, I did kind of an informal mentor, but um, I mean, several along the way you you pick up people along the way, but, uh, but I would say my, my favorite was probably my grandfather. Mm. He's, you know, he's, he's still, still my, Still my favorite from that regard, but he uh, he was young when he had my mother and when they had my mother and then she was young when he had me. So I I was lucky to have him in my life um, really all the way through. Right. So and he was really successful in business. And even before I knew what that meant, um, I knew there was something special there. Again, we spent a lot of time together. And so my goal was always to like make him proud and and, and lean on him when I was having a, a problem and whatnot. He really, he, you know, he wasn't in the same business at all with me. He was in, you know, telecom, but, but, um, but just really helped me, you know, just helped me, you know, figure out that, that, you know, it's one thing to manage, you know, equipment and machines and things like that, to hold everything to manage people. And that really sunk in with me because I thought, okay, this is different than what I different than what I'm used to. And he did a, did a great thing to help me out there.
0: Remembering back um, maybe to some of the early counsel and advice he might've given you, Matt, anything that stuck out? That you, that you maybe still use today
1: you know um anything I still use today probably probably not it was really just some of that early advice just you know just just listening to me and just kind of watching you know watching him talk about his work and watching him you know you know when I was younger he took me to a lot of his you know uh, you know uh, board meetings but certainly those types of events you know conferences and, and all yeah. that so just kind of being immersed in that really I think really helped me out a lot but but that that comment I made earlier about you know managing people is very different than managing, you know, technology or machines or, and and whatnot. And that really just you know, kind of just made me wake up a little bit like this is, this is the world is more about managing the people, right? That, that's what you've got to, you've got to really be focused on. And I didn't, that didn't sink in for a while, but it actually <laughs> did.
0: You mentioned that you read a few books, any, any authors or any sage advi- advice and counsel as well that you recall back from that time, that's oh, still resonates today.
1: Yeah. Back, back then. Um, guess i guess good degree i'm trying to remember when that came out but, but good degree was definitely a big one I, you know now now i'm more you know i've read a lot of from patrick Lencioni and yeah. and folks like that that are just i just i really like i really like that style and i really like uh you know the leadership leadership uh lessons he has
0: so you guys decided to sell the business you you, you obviously grew it successfully after about four you, know, you said 60 people or so mm-hmm. I had about yep. 14 years yeah. what, what was the motivation behind that
1: you know, it was just—it was just—it was—it was time. You know, we were—we were running into challenges. You know, you know, it was really—we didn't have any any funding outside of our own. So we had, you know, people growing in the company that wanted leadership opportunities. And you know, we were growing double digit every year, but when you're when you're that small, even double digits is is still only a few people a year. You know, I think that you know that the growth that we wanted to see, we weren't going to be able to fund ourselves. So. So uh, you know, we, we evaluated a few things like private equity and we probably weren't at the size where that made sense for for an outside firm, but uh, we actually, you know, had had built some other relationships in our industry, built some other relationships with some with some folks that were looking to acquire similar minded smaller companies and, and, and put those together. And that's really so it was a, a bit opportunistic uh, and, and a bit, you know, this kind of helped us take that next step for for our people really, which was to grow grow faster.
0: Did you take bigger. some time off from the time that you sold I it? Didn't. So, I, I didn't. You
1: know, no, I didn't. Our CEO of DataBank at the time really wanted to, to, to keep going on that acquisition train you know, you know get, get us get us you know, brought in and, and, and leverage our skill sets for... for
0: oh, so DataBank did purchase... Uh, DataBank yeah. purchased us, e- oh, EDOC, in it. 2013. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah, exactly.
1: So, no, I don't think there was any time off. I think we just, we just over <laughs> <and just>, Sold <laughs> on a Friday with work work on Monday. Yeah, Pretty much, pretty much, yeah.
0: <laughs> so, so I think your career then took a bit of a shift, right? You kind of went in more to client services, sales and marketing from the pure CTO stuff. Tell us a little bit about that. Was that a transition for you that you were looking to do? Or was that kind of the role that DataBank had for you once the company was purchased? So
1: I, you know, throughout that, that journey at EAC, I mean, I, you know, certainly was, was leading people more and, and we were just, you know, again, a small, small organization. So we still really customer facing. So I, I really enjoyed solutioning with our customers, mm. you know, stretching our team to, to, to meet some of those needs. Uh, I really had a keen uh, respect for what sales, you know, sales has to go through and that, that, that whole process, right. Of, of, building confidence and, you know, then, and then following through and delivering all that. So I was very much kind of, that, at that, even at that whole tenure, really, really migrating toward uh, you know, the, the front end of our business, right. Less, less on the technical, more, in the, more on the front end. So, but when I got to, when I got the data bank um, I was working really closely with the CEO at the time through our transition and, and all that. And, you know, I think he, he saw some potential in me beyond, you know, maybe what I was doing before and just ended up giving me different assignments from a leadership uh, perspective, mm-hmm. right? So things, you know, that we both knew was stretching me to kind of take on and, you know, knowing that it maybe didn't have any direct experience and things like, you know, you, know, uh, you know, leading sales and, you know, leading some of our pre-sales efforts. But uh, but he made me feel safe to struggle, right? I think he saw something there that, that he was um, – and I certainly was willing to help and willing to, to, to try – so I think it worked out worked out really good.
0: You were kind of in your late 30s at the time, I guess. If I got yeah, the time probably right mid 30s. Yeah, yeah. Something and like Was the a, yeah, yeah. a CEO like in his 50s? Was he kind of a mentor in that he, regard? He too? was, yeah,
1: probably late yeah. 50s, early yeah. 60s, even maybe. But uh, but yeah, def- definitely a mentor at that at that point in time. And we we uh, we really hit it off. I mean, I look back and you know we we just really enjoyed time together. And he he definitely spent a lot of time with me, kind of you know just. Just coaching, right? You know, and, and even when I didn't even know what he was doing, he was coaching me, which is, which is great. So <laughs> now,
0: did he start DataBank? Was that his? Uh... He did. Yep, yep. Yeah. He was, okay. he was a founder.
1: DataBank was 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 at that point in time was was funded, you know, uh, primarily through private equity. But uh, yeah. but he was yeah he was the original one of the original founders.
0: And did your pa- did your partners make the transition as well? Um,
1: one actually through through that journey, one we we exited with one. Um, Came up with a package for him and exited with one probably around maybe 2010. So it was just the two of us by the time we got to this point. And Ken, my my other partner, he uh, he stayed on for a few years and then he retired. Yeah, yeah,
0: he was a few few years older.
1: Mm-hmm. Good.
0: So did did you kind of feel at some point you were being groomed for the top job? When when did that kind of become <laughs> obvious?
1: <laughs> well, it, came, it hit me over the head when he asked me if I wanted the job, right? And he asked me that was uh, it was 2018 now. He'd asked me if I wanted to be a CEO, and I my first response to him was, you know, look, no way. I, you, you you travel too much, you know. You're not homer. You're not home enough. I've got little kids at home. I I just don't. You know, I don't want that. I'm, and plus, I'm not ready for it, right? And he said, you know, okay, fair sure enough. You know that 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 makes sense. And really didn't mention it again. But then my mind is spinning at this point. Right? Like, like, wow. He, <laughs> he introduced that, the yeah, idea as oh, a yeah, good leader yeah, does. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so I'm spinning on the idea for a while, and and it just made me look at my work and his work and just a totally different lens I guess really observing now what am I doing now what, what what could I do potentially in the future what what's he doing and and then probably a few months later he asked me again same question I do, do, do you think you want to do it yet and I said no again uh, I decided and I said look I just a little think, less firm it sounds like a little less firm yeah I, I'm like I just <laughs> don't think I'm ready you know I just I just don't think it's it's uh, I just don't think it's for me yet but I didn't stay away very long. So I think within a, a week or two, maybe I, I came back and said, look, I, I, I know I don't have to be on the road 24 seven. I could do that part very differently. Uh, it, 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 at the end of the day, I just, I still don't feel ready like that. I'm not confident that that's my issue. Um, but on the other hand, I'm, I'm guessing you're not going to ask me a third time. And I'm guessing, <laughs> <laughs> right? and I'm guessing if, if, you're, if you're me right now and you're in my shoes, not feeling overly confident, you would probably just dive in and figure it out. And he said, you know, uh, I think there was explicit in there, but he said, Yeah, you know, yes. And, uh, <laughs> and, and, you know, you know, my strengths, you know, my weaknesses and you still want me to do it. Right. So, so I, Hey, I'm, I'm saying now I'm saying, yes, I'll, I'll, if, if it's still open, I'll figure it out.
0: And, and he's uh, kind of, he's so early sixties at the time. Right. So oh, he's kind of getting ready. He was he early sixties at the time getting ready to retire. himself? So, so this
1: is mid to late 2018. Um, something like that. And, yeah. uh, and the, the PE firm that we were involved in you know, ha, uh, was was exiting too. So we, so now we were actually sold again. We were sold to Kiosera okay. Corporation. So I went through the okay. transaction on, on that side of it.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, so my position got approved by the board, and, and and I was on my you know I was on my way at that point. It was it was really cool. We had about six months to work together before it was official, and then he stayed on as an advisor for quite a while after too. Yeah. So from a transition standpoint, it was just it just couldn't have been better.
0: Yeah, cool. What do you think flipped it for you? in terms of going from that hard no to, yeah, my mind's open to this.
1: Really two things. One one was, you know, how many opportunities do people get like that, right? Where, where you know, somebody's asking you directly, do you, do you want this? And, you know, somebody's going to take it, right, at some point in time, whether I go outside the firm or I'd rather I'd rather it be you. And you know, I just thought, you know, that, that's only going to happen, you know, maybe once in my lifetime. So I, I, I can't, I, I got to look at that really, really hard. And, and the other thing, I, you know, I've always been, probably a little too hard on myself, mm. um, over the years, right. In terms of like, you know, not, not being ready for something, don't deserve something, thing, things like that. And I just really, I pushed past that one and I said, look, I, you know, I may never get another chance like this again. So I just need to, I need to take it. You know, I, I think this, I'm, I'm, I know the business well at this point in time, I know our customers, I know our people, uh, this is not a new industry, right. This Should be a situation I should be comfortable in given, given, the, you know, given the scenario. So I just, you know, Said yes, I'll take it.
0: Love it. So, been in the role, I guess, about four and a half years. How big's the company today, employee wise? And oh, just we're just under a th-
1: th- th- yeah, we're under a thousand, you know.
0: Yeah. But yeah. And global in your offering, or are you focused specifically on national business?
1: Yeah, ma- mainly North America. You know, now that we're uh, you know now that we're owned by Kia Sera Corporation, that that transition happened in, in uh, two thousand seventeen. So about four years after I got to Data Bank, the private equity firm that we were. Partnered with, uh, exited, and uh, like like they do, and and then this was a this was a strategic buyer. So
0: you mentioned databanks just a little under a thousand employees. Tell us a little bit about your offering. What do you folks do today, and who who do you do it for?
1: So we are really f- primarily focused in um, in data management, right, and and mainly mainly in the unstructured world. If you look at it, you know there, there's all tons of estimates out here, but but the the last estimate I saw is you know at, at a, on a daily basis we were creating about. Two and a half exabytes of information globally, right? Just to kind of put that in perspective, and and uh, eighty to 90, I don't know how they measure this, but that's what the studies say. And eighty to ninety percent is of that is unstructured information, right? So that's the world we live in. We we help our clients, you know, sift through that unstructured data, whether that's sitting in documents or in a, you know physical documents in a warehouse somewhere, or in a digital repository that might need better organization. So we help our clients organize that into more structured meaningful information so they can, you know, find it again, make decisions around it, uh, you know, run it through workflows, you know, see, and and then, you know, see trends and insights, right. That, that's, that sort of thing. So, and then uh, even more exciting, like in the last, you know, couple of years, we've been really, you know, uh, leveraging AI to help sort through a lot of that data instead of people and systems doing it, it's, it's a lot more AI driven now, which is, which is really an exciting place to be. I mean, it's kind of fun to watch this, this, you know, AI world that you hear so much about and you can't quite get your arms around it to see how that intersects with our, our offerings and in industry. It's been, been really exciting.
0: Cool. So it's not just data organization, it's also data analytics and then interpreting mm-hmm. what to do with it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And that's yeah. field just been exploding.
1: Oh, it's been great. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Definitely. Awesome. And how would you say your leadership styles evolved over time yeah, since you've taken over the corner office role?
1: I think, uh, you know, it's really been, you know, I've been mentioned a couple of times on this, on this interview, you know, confidence, right. So kind of, so to me, confidence and assertiveness has really improved. You know, I, I think I was probably way too timid early on. Um, and once I got out of my own way in that regard and kind of trust yourself more, it helped my style a lot, you know, or just, just being confident, you know, you're, you're, you're really the one, uh, it took me a while to realize, but you're the one good or bad that everyone's following and you need to act like it, um, and sometimes just knowing when the decision needs to be made right not waiting for everybody to get on board you know or, or arrive at a full consensus but just getting comfortable with making the you know the tough calls right the 80 percent call yeah right? exactly We're yeah you don't, have all the, you don't have all the information you need uh, you know even though uh you know you, you know that tough call might not be popular for someone or some group or something but uh, it's been a big lesson too
0: how do you decide when it's time to maybe micromanage someone or you know, kind of stay out of their way and out of their sandbox, so to speak.
1: Yeah, it's a it's a it's a really interesting question. So I um I think that in a lot of ways, you know, uh, I've read anyway that that you know the CEO has you know needs to spend a fair amount of time in like the dark alleys, right? The the, the real problems in the business, areas where where things aren't going well. Uh, get in, address the situation. You know, make sure someone's responsible for it, and then and then get out and move on to the next. You know, next problem. There's always going to be problems. There's always going to be something that isn't going the way it needs to. So I think in that cadence, you've got you know several areas of business that you can trust are working well, and you can kind of stay um, hands off there. But then there's there's one or maybe two of that 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 you and the functional leader really need to to dig into, and that can feel like micromanagement to people, but it's temporary, right? It's it's it still has clear lines of responsibility and accountability. So that person will manage it going forward. Um, they've got to be the one to own the problem. After all, you can't you you can't be expected to, to 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 fly in and you know and address everything. But even if you're with them for a little while, getting them to understand the problem as you see it, you know, hear and, and absorb your expectations and support them. You know, reminding them that's a priority. And uh, so I think it does feel like it sometimes, and sometimes I think it is. It is it is probably bordering on micromanagement, but. But that's where you need to spend your time. Yeah. Um, you know,
0: those dark alleys of, can be scary.
1: <laughs> they can be. They can be. <laughs> that's why they're dark, right? No, no one else is in there. Yeah.
0: Now you went through a couple of transitions. You obviously took over the CEO about four years ago, and you mentioned also a, a PE sale. You know, company culture really is driven by the the CEO. What, what would you say? Two two questions here. What would you say is kind of most unusual or unique about your culture, and how do you kind of propagate that? You know, with, with a thousand folks, you know, it, it's hard for you to meet everyone and see everyone in any period of time. So, talk to us a little bit about company culture.
1: Yeah, one thing that you know, it, it took me a long time for me to sink in, but then once it did, I just I think I've just been riding that you know that that train wave waving that flag better rather for for a long time, and that's really been you know communication transparency, right? Uh, so I, I believe you've got to tell people the hard stuff. Um, you've got to address difficult topics like a, maybe a downsizing. Uh, you know I, I always encourage our leaders, and, and we and we do share you know as many numbers as we can, even if it's you know uh, good news or bad news, right? Um, you've got to tra- I mean, you've got to translate that to make sure people know how to interpret that information. But but to me that's how you build trust, right? And I think we've really done that here. I think we've done a good job. Uh, I think it's also very critical since we're mostly a virtual organization. Like our leadership's virtual. Uh, people travel a lot, but but you know we're we're spread out, and you know you, you don't see people face to face as much as you as you would sometimes. You know, one one time a year, maybe even in less from a you know um, employee standpoint. So I think the more transparent you are, the the more confident they feel that they're getting they're getting information, and then. You know from a, from a communication standpoint one thing that's really stood out to me is I've, I've heard this repeatedly now uh, which I love especially for from from employees that, that maybe came to us from a larger organization is that our communication is just more than they've ever seen right and more than these larger more much more capable much more resource you know heavy you know um, companies have is 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 just the communication has been just really really strong here so you know I think that's uh, you know I think that's you know being visible Right. Again, difficult in a virtual setting, but, but, um, you know, we, we try to visit, you know, I try to visit as many locations as I can and, you know, just to again, be visible for everybody. And um, when I was in a physical office, right, the door was always open, right. Mm-hmm. And, and people came by to say, hello, ask a question, whatever. And I, and I miss that. I and mean, it's been a long time now, but I, I do miss those days. So one thing I'm doing right now is, is, uh, is doing virtual office hours, right. I've got, a, I've got a TV in my office. That's dedicated to zoom. And have you know set hours throughout the week where I'm just waiting for someone to stop by and you know say hello. And sometimes nice. we we talk about football or kids or you know sometimes just work and it doesn't really matter to me. It's, really, it's it's the closest thing I've seen to be able to simulate that that true open door setting where people could just stop in and and, and talk. And I, and I I feel you know in my heart I feel like those things go a long way to just being you know visible for people, being a, a, you know a, a approachable, authentic, and, and again hard to do in a in a virtual setting. A, a lot more a lot more work, but but I think it, I think it matters. I really do.
0: You've been going through a lot of growth, and, and obviously it means hiring people. Mm-hmm. Well, what do you look for when you're making bets on the people you invest in and hire at DataBank, man?
1: Yeah, this this came from a this came from another book, and I forget which one it was, but you know, something about you know looking for people that are I think hungry, smart, and curious. I think those are the three attributes. Um, so so you know we we definitely look for culture fit. Uh, you know we, we've certainly made mistakes like anybody along the way, where where you find somebody who's super talented but it's just not a culture fit and you just have to, you have to part ways. But, but uh, you know, depend on the situation and the, and the role we'll, we'll look for a veteran in our field. Um, but most of my fond memories of, of, of bringing people in are someone that was just, you know, eager to learn, you know, and, and then watch and see what they've you know, been able to do a few years, a few years later. And, and someone that, you know, maybe came in for one role and now is doing something completely different and, and being successful a lot. It's a really, really cool thing. So, uh, you know, again, m- more than experience, it's just, it's really, for us, it's just culture, right? Is, is this going to fit? Yeah. Um, you know, we we have different different hiring styles depending on the on the role. Sometimes it's very committee driven. Sometimes it's you know just just manager driven. But but um, you know, getting uh, getting input from others, especially in, the, in, a, in a key role like a like a management role, get getting input from from others that aren't working directly with that person or won't be working directly with that person. Rather, uh, it's just really you know good three hundred and sixty kind of feedback to get.
0: Do you still get involved in interviews with folks other than your uh, your direct reports?
1: I do, um, you know, l- less and less, but uh, it really depends on depends on the role and depends on. If I, and I may have some, you know, some some past, you know, knowledge whether whether it's uh, you know um, you know people in my network or or uh, just a role. I think is going to be you know just uniquely uh, important for us to, to to fill with the right person. And yeah, so I'll get involved in those definitely
0: do you have a favorite interview question or process that you put in, particularly someone that's been vetted, right? You know, it's gone through maybe two or three rounds before they've seen you.
1: Yeah. I, um, I, I, I like to just not spend time on the previous accomplishments and the roles and anything that's already in the resume or, 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 you know, information you can easily read. I mean, you know, oftentimes I think we're, our interviews are just kind of confirming what might already be there, but I like to spend time with, you know, the obstacles and where, where'd you have problems? And, and, uh, so there's a question I like to ask about, um, you know, what, what did you do to overcome, you know, whatever, you know, give me an obstacle, give me something that really marked you in your career, you know, something that didn't, you know, something, hopefully something that didn't go well. Right. And how you overcame that obstacle mistakes you made. What did you learn? I get a lot of people, I get a lot out of people telling me, um, you know, really something difficult uh, and, being, and being willing to do that, right? Being willing to kind of go on that ledge and, and talk about something difficult because sometimes it's a mistake that that person actually made, right? And that's fine. You know, we, we, we all do that all, all the time. And I think the element of surprise too really helps to see if people can can think on their feet, but that's really where I'll spend my time.
0: Matt, we're just about out of time and thank you so much for sharing your journey. What last question we have, and we ask this of all our CEO guests, is you know what kind of career and life advice should you give to someone who maybe has their eyes on the corner office someday, and you know wants to uh, you know run a company?
1: Yeah, yeah. I think I think really being curious. I mean, we, we've all come through our career with some certain discipline, you know, typically, and and being curious about those other things, uh, even if it's an area you're, you're not confident in, you know, asking questions, you know, uh, being the one that speaks first when when there when there's time for feedback and and, and, you know, and all that, I think, I think, you know, reading a lot uh, you know, getting something out of everything that, everything that you read, it just, you know, again, just back to curiosity. I think that's really the, the big thing. I think it's important for you to know about your company's numbers, right. You know, uh, know what's being measured, uh, what, what good looks like, what it means when, when, when it doesn't look good. And, and, um, and then try to, you know, try to learn from that really, and spend some time, you know, cross-functionally in the organization, right. If you're, if you're in an operational role, for instance, and you never see that kind of the market facing portion of your, of your org, you know, the, or the customer facing part of, if you're not in sales, you just look for opportunities to spend time there and learn whether that's on some committee or some, you know, partial role, whatever it might be. But just, I think you really need to see, you know, the, the, the breadth of the org and see and have a good appreciation anyway, for what all these different functions are that make the, 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 the company, what it is, not just being the best at, at, at you know, in one, in one area. Um, you may not be great in those other areas, but but knowing what they do and what what they mean is really, really, really important. And then, from my personal experience, right, you know, again, the the, the journey I took to get here, I didn't have a lot of financial background and a, a lot of experience in that side of it. So that was definitely an eye opener when I got in the role. Spending a lot of time, a lot of you know, nights and weekends with, with our CFO asking a lot of dumb questions. <laughs> she was, she's, she's been great with me, but, uh, but it definitely took a while to get there. So I think that's another area to spend some time into, whether it's, you know, formal, you know, formal you know training or, or just spending time with the, with the group that you do have in your company to learn about, you know, what, what observations they have, what, what they see in the numbers.
0: Sage Council. Matt Charlson, uh, president and CEO at DataBank IMX, thank you so very much for sharing your journey into the corner office. Brandon, it was a pleasure. Thanks for having me.